want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew, and chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16. You know, the Lord promises certain things to those who love His appearing. Are you looking for Jesus to come? Now, the older I get, the more I'm looking for Him to come. Because I know that I don't have many, maybe many good, healthy days left. So I would rather Him come sooner than later. But there were some people who were with Jesus. His inner circle, you know, those that were closest to Him. And He told them something. And I thought, this is just the way I'd like to see it. And He makes a statement there in uh, verse 27. I want you to see there in Matthew chapter 16, uh, verse 27, and Jesus um, is talking. And he says in verse 27, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Now, it's easy for people to see a verse like that and think, okay, that means that I've got to be good. I've got to do some good works. Well, the word is reward and works. That has absolutely nothing to do with salvation. Because being saved from hell and being able to be with the Lord is the gift of God. It's not of works. So this is talking about during a kingdom that God is going to set up upon this earth. Now, do not misunderstand. The church does not replace Israel. We are not going to bring in a kingdom. We're not going to get this world in such a good shape that if he wants to enjoy some of it, he better come on back. As though we're going to do it without him. No, he's going to set up his kingdom. He's going to build his throne. He's going to do that. We're just going to get to enjoy it. But the day is coming. So notice what he says here in verse 28. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death. I like that part. Even though that's not talking about me. It's just that he told somebody else that. Now it does tell us that um, those that are alive when Jesus comes back in the air for his children, that God says will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. It means that um, our bodies are going to be changed and we will not taste of death. That day could be today. It could be tomorrow. But one day it will happen. Now, he promised his disciples while he was standing there, some of you are not going to taste of death until you see the Son of Man coming in the glory of his Father. So they knew, if that's true, it had to happen in their lifetime. And evidently, it's going to happen soon, because Jesus was going to die. So it had to happen before he died. Look what he says. In the last part of verse 28, Till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And then chapter 17, if you just did away with that um, little division there, it would go right into verse 1. And after six days, now we could say that the Lord says one day with him is a 
as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day, and in six days would be six thousand years. Well, from Adam and Eve until the flood was two thousand years, and from the flood until Christ was about two thousand years, and it's been about two thousand years since then. So we're at the end of the sixth day, and so after six days, he is going to set up his kingdom upon the earth. Maybe a little Yankeeology in there, but I don't think too much. So he says this, After six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, separate from everybody else, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and the raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto him the Moses and Elijah talking with him. Now people often say, well, when we die, are we going to be us? Well, who else are you going to be? Moses died, and Elijah was taken up, and it's still them. Not somebody else. They're them. And you're going to be you. And you're going to see your loved ones. And it's going to be them. It's not going to be somebody else. And like whenever Abraham was going to die, and it says, and he was gathered unto his people. Isaac, he was gathered unto his people. Jacob was gathered unto his people. His people that had already died. So I said that just in case you wanted to know. And I know you did. Then he says there in verse 3, And behold, there appeared unto him Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Isn't he wonderful? Boy, he had it all laid out. I don't know what Jesus would do without Peter. He usually speaks before he thinks. But you see, when he talks about the tabernacle, that's the Feast of Tabernacles when you're talking about the kingdom and it's going to be set up upon the earth. So the Feast of Tabernacles is coming. And there were memorials that the children of Israel were supposed to do every year to celebrate as a memorial things that were going to take place in the future. So you and I are part of a gigantic plan. And when the rapture takes place, when Christ comes for us, there's a good possibility that we will not taste of death until Jesus Christ comes back. Because there will be a generation of people living when Jesus comes in the air. And we are caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So I want you to take your Bible and turn all the way back to the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 8, verse 13. Somewhere in through there. It's on the right-hand page in the right-hand column, right there. See it? It makes this statement that um, it says that there's three solemn feasts. These three solemn feasts. All the children were to come into Jerusalem to, for these three feasts. Not all the feasts, but these three especially. And one, it was because of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And that was uh, to follow on the 15th, which is uh, the 14th, the Passover. And then you had on Pentecost, they were all to come in. Then on the Feast of Tabernacles, the whole congregation. Now, there's reasons for this. But here in the book of um, Leviticus, I want you to turn in your Bible to the book of Leviticus, chapter 23. Leviticus, chapter 23. 
Now, one of the key verses in the whole book of Leviticus is uh, Leviticus 17.11. Leviticus 17.11 is in talking about the, the blood upon the atonement for the souls. And so he says, and, uh, for it is the life of the flesh. And this verse is talking about how the, the blood makes an atonement for the soul. Now, here in Leviticus in chapter 23... A lot of interesting things because it mentions all seven of these feasts, these special feast days. And the feast days are laid out in order. Now look up here just for a second. You're going to have where each feast represents something. The first three feasts is in the spring. And you have three feasts that are in the fall. And then you have one that's 50 days after the other three. So you've got Pentecost. But the first three is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's why it has to be at a certain time, certain month, that he's already told them, it's got to be in a certain month of April, and it has to be on a certain day that the sacrifice is to be killed in the particular time of the day, which was in the evening on that day, and then that night they were to have their feast. And that's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So while Christ is in the grave, there is no sin in his body. Remember, he that eateth my body, he says, this is the living bread. Bread that has no sin and no leaven. And so that's the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which lasted about seven days in which they partook. And that was a feast day. And then Jesus Christ comes back from the dead. That's the first fruits. And then you have 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have what is called Pentecost. Seven sevens. Those seven sevens is a week. And seven weeks is 49 days. And it was the day after those seven Sabbaths, which would take it for 50 days. That's why the Holy Spirit came in the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost, 50 days from the resurrection of Christ. You see, all those things, though they were mentioned thousands of years in advance, were to be fulfilled to the very letter. And it has to be just like God laid it out. Now, if it was accurate concerning the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and Pentecost happened right on schedule, I wonder if the feast of trumpets, and the Feast of the Atonement, or the Day of the Atonement, and then you have the Feast of Tabernacles. I wonder if those three are going to happen, just like God says. If all the other ones happen, just like God says. What do you think? I don't know. Well, there comes a time when you might have to say, you know, if this is true, this is awesome. But remember... Jesus also mentioned to them that this was something that was going to happen. And they made the question, you didn't get to look at that, but hold your place right here in Leviticus. Go back to chapter 17 of Matthew. Back to Matthew chapter 17. I want to just show you this one verse. Because after this was done, and Jesus kind of rebukes uh, Peter, but then the, the, the Lord's you know, speaks and says, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. And that's um, mentioned there in verse 5. 
But in verse 6, he says, And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man, until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. In other words, when I come back from the dead, you can tell it. This is why in the book of Peter, you'll find out Jesus says, I was with him. I saw him. I heard him in his excellent glory. And he talks about that. And so he says in verse 10, And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elijah must come first? Doesn't the scribes say that, uh, you know, Elijah's supposed to come back? Well, where's Elijah? Because that's mentioned in the book of Malachi. In the Old Testament, written about 400 years before Matthew was written. So where is Elijah? And he says, you see, if the nation of Israel had accepted him, then John the Baptist would have been Elijah because they came in the spirit of Elijah. So he says there in verse 11, Jesus answered and said unto them, Elijah truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elijah is come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listened. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. But they rejected John the Baptist. They killed their Elijah. And here's Jesus, and he's going to have to suffer too. It's like saying, Jesus, before you come and set up the kingdom, doesn't Elijah have to come first? He says, yes. So that means that later on, because the kingdom was rejected and the king, Elijah is yet to come. That's why many believe that he might be one of those witnesses in the um, tribulation period. And he might be. But this has to happen first. Now, between the Pentecost and the Feast of Trumpets, there's nothing else that has to be fulfilled. See, the church began on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, the church was born. Now, that was their feast, but it was also the birth of the church. We are going to be taken out before that next feast. So whenever the next feast starts, we're going to be taken out of here. And then those feast days slide back over here to where they're supposed to be. Take a look there. Look in Leviticus chapter 23. Remember this when we talk about the Passover. That is a personal redemption. That's where Christ died for the sins of every individual born in the world. That's why every house was to have this done. It was for the individual, that firstborn that was here. But the picture is Passover is for an individual salvation. You see, every individual must trust Christ as their Savior in order to have the free gift of everlasting life. And remember, I've said it before. The reason I can't go to hell today is because I don't have any sins to pay for. You said, as, as bad as you are? <laughs> yeah, and as bad as you are. I don't have to pay for my sins. Christ died for my sins. I don't have any sins to pay for. That's why I don't have to go to hell. And see, the reason I can't go to hell in the future 
because he already paid for those two. So the only reason anybody goes to heaven is because you don't have to go to hell to pay for sin. And you can't know you're going there until you know you can't go there. Now, when we talk about the Day of Atonement, well, that's a national redemption. Because God says He's working on the nation of Israel. All these feast days has to do with Israel. But now get this. In chapter 23, look in verse 4. These are the feast of the Lord, your holy convocations. In other words, these are times to remember. These are special days that represent something that's coming in the future. These are like a rehearsal. You're rehearsing this and rehearsing, rehearsing, getting ready for the real thing when it comes so that they would recognize, well, Jesus when he shows up. And so that's why he had to come when he did. He went into the city of Jerusalem and four days later, which would have been on the, the 14th, which it has to be. All these things are down here. And look what he says in verse 5. In the 14th day of the first month at evening is the Lord's Passover. The evening, we all say morning and evening, first day. It doesn't say day and night. It says morning and evening. Now, when we talk about morning, generally it's from 6 until 12. Evening is from 12 until 6. But that is the day and this is the night. So whenever you talk about the morning and then the evening, well, the next morning and evening, it will be another day. But there's the night. And there's things that happen in the daytime and there's things that happen at night and there's things that happen in the morning and there's things that happen in the evening. And Jesus has to be crucified in the evening and that evening from 12 until 6 in the midst of that, in the middle of that, where the evening comes together, there is a time called 3 o'clock. Now, in Jewish time, that's 9 hours. And so when Jesus was on the cross, at the 6th hour, from 6, 6th hour, the earth became dark. And 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus died. And they wanted to get him off the thing because that evening starts their day of six o'clock. So there's time in there. So it was in the evening. So that's why he says in verse 14, first month at evening is the Lord's Passover, which is also what we mentioned a while ago in the book of uh, Exodus in chapter 12 and verse 6. In verse 6, on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread unto the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. So this is another day, another a feast. This is the Feast of the Unleavened Bread because, you see, they just had the killing of the Passover lamb. Then you had the feast. And then you have up there in verse 9, And the Lord spake unto Moses, and speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When you be come into the land which I give unto you, and you shall reap the harvest thereof, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruit of your harvest unto the priest. This is Christ coming back from the dead. This is the resurrection. This is the first fruit, the first sheaf that comes up. That's the resurrection of Christ. And then you have something else that's very interesting that it mentions down through here. Now look at verse 15. And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath... 
from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, that's the resurrection, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall ye number how many days? Fifty days. The fifty days, you go to the New Testament, and when Christ came back from the dead, remember he showed himself alive after this for about 40 days with many infallible proofs. And then he told them, he says, the Holy Spirit is going to come in less than 10 days. And then on 50 days, the Holy Spirit came right on schedule. And that's why he says in, in the book of Acts in chapter 2, and when the day was fully come, the Holy Spirit came. Now that's a feast. And the Bible, this is why all those people had come from all over, come to Jerusalem. And the reason because they spoke in languages is because all these people came from various countries. And now they came back in Jerusalem. And they heard them speak in their language. It wasn't some unknown language. It was a known language. And all that was done. The 50 days. Now, that was covered. 50 days. And then you have verse 23. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month. Now, this seventh month is October. This is why Dr. Hank Lindstrom always believed that the rapture is going to take place when? In October. When did he get to go home? Well, he got his wish. It's just he didn't take the rest of us. But now get this. In the seventh month, the first day of the month, shall you have a Sabbath. Now, if we often say, you know, well, every Saturday is the Sabbath. Well, here is the first day, and it's a Sabbath. So this is not a Saturday, and if it was a Sunday, that's a Sabbath. You see, it changed around, and so here you have a Sabbath, but it's not on a Saturday. There were special, and all these feast days could be a, a special holy day, a high day, a, an extra Sabbath day. And then he says, shall you have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets. Now, this blowing of the trumpets, that's the next thing. As you read it in order, that's the next thing to happen. But this is all has to do with Israel. Even the Pentecost had to do with Israel. It's just that we come right in between. And you don't find the church mentioned in the Old Testament. Some types, yes, we can use types. But most of the information about the church was revealed by Paul. Here you're talking about in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus mainly has to deal with the tribe of Levi and the sacrifices to be made and the holy walk that a person is supposed to have, holy living. And so here you have these types of what they're supposed to do representing something that took place just 2,000 years ago. And these fall feasts, now we're looking at these next three feasts, those are in the fall, starting in October. So it starts in October, and something's supposed to happen. And this is why it says there in verse 26, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Also on the tenth day of the seventh month, there shall be a day of atonement. Now this is for national Israel. This is why we study about the nation of Israel and the 70 weeks of Daniel. And it goes up until the day Christ was crucified on the cross. 
he shall be cut off. Now, there's a seven-year period of time because it's supposed to be 70 weeks. Well, it only took 69 up to the cross. There is another seven years that's out there on the other side of the church age. That seven years is what God's going to use as the Day of Atonement. In other words, this is going to be God's chastening upon the nation of Israel, and God's going to use the nations of the world to bring Israel to its knees, where they will cry out to the Messiah. Because unless Jesus Christ comes back and delivers Israel, there will be no Israel. So God is going to do this. And he says this is going to be a time. This is why this was a time of mourning for Israel, the Day of Atonement, of grief, uh, supposed to uh, like beat themselves, punish themselves. Uh, Jay probably knows more about this than I do, but I'm talking about this is a period of time. And then lo and behold, the Lord comes back and then you have the Feast of Tabernacles. And this is when Peter, James, and John saw Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he was transfigured before them. And his power and his glory as he sets up his kingdom upon the earth, that's where it's going to be. That's why he says, let us build some tabernacles here. That deals with that period of time. And you read those scriptures, and it works perfectly. Maybe a little Yankeeology here and there, but I think most of it is scriptural. Look there in uh, verse 34. In verse 34. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 34, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles. That's the last feast. And this is when Christ sets up His kingdom upon the earth. And they were to celebrate these feast days until it all became a reality, when it was fulfilled. Now, if everything happened like He said it would in the beginning, and... uh, Pentecost happened just like he said. Is it possible that the rest of these feast days are going to happen? I believe it. I believe it with all my heart. But I don't know if I got the calendar right. So I look for him to come today. And he may come tomorrow. I don't care if he takes us out a little bit earlier before they do all that stuff. Because remember, in Ezekiel 38 and 39... It mentions the nations of the world. The Gentile nations are going to come against Jerusalem. And Zechariah 14 says, And I will gather all nations against Jerusalem. It's going to happen one day. And in verse 12 of chapter 4, he says, And this shall be the plague wherewith God will smite all the nations that came against Jerusalem to battle. And while they stand upon their feet, their eyes will consume away in their holes. And their flesh will consume off their bones. Their tongue out of their mouth. What kind of a battle are we going to have that's going to do all of that? And all the green grass is going to be burnt. There's going to be a war of bows and arrows. I don't think so. But we're living at a very interesting and exciting time. Just look over there very quickly in chapter 25 of Leviticus. You see there in chapter 25 of Leviticus, and you talk about the time coming when you celebrate the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee means every 50 years, everybody that was in debt was forgiven and you start all over again. And if you sold your home, you get to get it all back. So the the people's property stayed in the family. Isn't that neat? But look in verse 8. And thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee, seven times seven years. 
And the space of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto thee forty and nine years. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month in the day of atonement. So this is going to be, it looks like, something that happens on the 50th year when they have the Feast of Tabernacles. Just a good possibility. And I haven't figured everything out yet, but I do love studying prophecy. I got a few pieces of the puzzle that I haven't been able to put all the pieces in there yet, but I'm working on it. And that's why in verse 10 he says, this is going to be a a 50th day, a year of jubilee. Now, God puts things down in his word for a reason. Now, I want you to take your Bible and turn all the way over there to the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, none of these feast days has anything to do with the church. It's just that we happen to fall between those two feasts, which was the day of Pentecost and the Feast of Trumpets. We often say we're, we're waiting for the Lord to come back. And when he comes back, it could happen at any time. Look what he says in verse 13. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. And the reason because he doesn't like his children being ignorant. Concerning them which are asleep. Those people have already died. Now let's just pretend for a moment. Here we are. We're all alive. Jesse over here. And let's say, no, throw Bob in there. They just died. We buried them. They're gone. We're still here. Where are they? Well, they're in their bodies in the grave. No. Absent from the body. Present with the Lord. So the day is coming when God says he's going to come back and he's going to bring them with him. He can't bring them with him if they're not up there with him. So to be absent from the body, present with the Lord. You're not laying in a grave, in a body. Oh, no, here come the worms. Oh, no. Well, there are, if the worms eat my body, they're going to die too. But you heard about the guy that went up in the rapture? He started singing, I ain't got nobody. But here, he says, sorrow not as others who have no hope. In other words, we sorrow that we miss those guys. Don't you think we ought to be sorrowful if we miss these guys? I mean, they just died. We buried them yesterday, and here we are having church service today. But we know where they are. Now, we sorrow that we're going to miss them, but we know that we'll see them again. And that's what's producing the greater sorrow. No. In verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God do what? Bring with him. So they're not in the grave. They are with the Lord. Now their bodies are in the grave. Their bodies could be in a, in a fire. They could have been burned up. Who knows? You don't worry about that. It's just that the body is a seed that was planted and God can get another one from it. Don't try to figure out how he does it. When I was sitting there in Bible college and he was telling me all this stuff, I kept thinking, here I am, I'm going to be a missionary, I'm going to go over there to Africa, and they're going to put me in a pot, and they're going to stir me around real good and, and boil me, and then about 15 of these cannibals are going to eat me up, and there goes my body, it's in 15 people. So when the rapture takes place, they're going to lose his eyes, toes, knee, nothing. Because they got my body. Well, I had an inquiring mind. I still ain't figured it all out yet. Maybe you have. So look what he says in verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of Yankee, 
<coughs> word of the Lord, that we which are alive, get that, we are alive, and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or go before them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, and with the what? Now, whether or not this has anything to do with the Feast of Trumpets, which has to be so many blasts, up to 100 blasts, and it's a totally different thing, and there's a last trump of that. All I know is I'm listening. And even though I got, you know, hearing problems, I just told the Lord, turn it up. I don't want to miss the blast. I don't want to miss hearing the trumpet. How much time I'm going to have to hear it and get ready, I don't know. It says you'll be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Now that's fast. That's moving out. And I told somebody in college, I says, I hope the Lord will put it on slow motion. You know, so that I'm going up real slow. So that I can look down at everybody and say, I told you. I told you. I told you so. Wouldn't you like that? I told you. Because everybody thinks we're nuts. All we do is believe in miracles. Because that's a miracle. I mean, to be going up in the air without a, you know, a rocket. My body changed. No sinful nature anymore. Caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Look what he says. I didn't make it all this up. Look in verse 16. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. That's those bodies that are in the grave. You see, he's bringing those guys back with him, and he's going to resurrect their bodies. That's what's dead. And they're going to be united to it with a glorified body. And that's why he says this mortal that's subject to death, those that are still alive, will put on immortality. And that which is corrupt will be made incorruptible. And we shall be caught up. Now look in verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be what? That's why Jesus told some of those that were standing there with him, some of y'all are not going to taste of death until you see this happen. Well, he's saying the same thing here. Now, if the other part was true, I believe this part's true too. I believe one day, I had people tell me, you're just making this rapture stuff up. It's not even in the Bible. Well, that means something. And it says, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord. Where? In the air. I just believe what it says. And it says, comfort one another with these words. This is why these verses are always read generally at a, a funeral service. But I'm not dead yet. I don't want to wait till I'm dead and then you say all these nice things. I believe it now. I want to be one of those that are alive. And I don't think I'm going to have to be too healthy to make it. I believe it's coming very soon. Now turn in your Bible to the 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. This is called the resurrection chapter. And it's for a reason. Because if Christ did not come back from the dead, then there is no resurrection. And there is no hope. And we are of all men most miserable because there is no life after death. Jesus coming back from the dead is the only proof we have there's life after death. Now look what he says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verse 51. Behold, I show you a murder mystery. No, I show you a mystery. 
A mystery is a truth that was not known in times past, but now revealed for the first time. These are truths was not revealed before. Now, there's types in the Old Testament. Enoch was translated that he should not see death, which is a type, as you could say, of the church right before the flood. And we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air right before the tribulation period. And so Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind. So there's types in the Bible. And I could say, I guess there's been many raptures. But here he says, in verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all, that word sleep means all die. We shall not all die. I'd like to be in that generation where that includes me. And get the rest of it. But we all shall be changed. We shall all be changed. We put that little verse there on our nursery door. We shall all be changed. But now look in verse 52. This will knock your socks off. We shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Do you believe the Bible? This is just as true as John 3.16. This is just as true as... Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Or 1 John 5, 13. This is true. There's a generation of people living that will never see death. And the thing about the Pentecost feast and the feast of the trumpets is there's nothing in between to happen. There's not another big miracle or sign that has to be fulfilled in order for us to be taken out of here. That's why we can look for them today or tomorrow. Now look at verse 53. For this corruptible, that's bodies that are in the grave, must put on incorruption. And this mortal, that's the body you're in right now. You're a mortal individual. I mean, you're subject to death. Only God is immortal. God is not subject to death. We are. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when the rapture takes place, when this corruptible shall I put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, that's the rapture. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? You didn't get me. O grave, where is thy victory? You didn't get me. Because the rapture kept that from happening. Now, if the Lord should tarry, a lot of us will go by the way of the grave. And I told the Lord, I don't want to live here forever. I just want to live long enough to bury everybody else and then I'll be ready to go. Because <laughs> you've got to have a plaster right to bury you. I like that. Don't you like that? You don't, you don't like that. Anyway, then he says, the sting of death is sin and the, the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God which giveth us the what? Victory. When we no longer have to worry about death because we're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and caught up to meet the Lord in the air. That's why he says, because even the resurrection is true. If we don't make it, we have to go by the way of the grave. Therefore, look in verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, he says, be ye steadfast, unmovable, 
always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor in the Lord is it's not in vain. Your serving the Lord is not in vain. Your dedication, your giving, your witnessing, whatever you do for them, it's not in vain. It's not in vain. Why? Because this is all true. It's all true. And we are blessed to live at this time in history that we might be part of this group that will never see death, but to be changed in a moment, the twinkling light and caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And the Bible says there's special rewards for those who love his appearing. In other words, you live like you're looking for him to come back. You see, if you get that out of your mind and don't think about him coming back, you're not going to live as godly as you ought to. You're not going to have 2020 eyesight. And 2020, it may be not going to be a good year for you. But if you want to have a good year, you need to have good vision. You need to see what God says is true and live like it. That's why the problems of this life, they're just the problems of this life. They don't have to control you. You can have them, but they don't have to make you ungodly. You don't have to be upset, angry, confused, in despair, because you know this is true. It ain't over yet. It's not over yet. Look up here. This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents everything we've ever done wrong. And everybody sins. But God loves us. And he hates what we do wrong. And to pay for the wrong that we've done is eternal separation from God in hell. But God loves us, wants us to go to heaven. And to go to heaven, we have to be perfect. As righteous as God. No sin. You see, we have sin and it has to be paid. So what Christ did for me, he did for everybody. God says, I cannot save myself. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord, God in the flesh. Came into the world because he loves us. Hates our sin because our sin separates us from him. So Jesus Christ, who didn't have any sin, didn't have to die. He was the Lamb of God without spot, without blemish. He took all the sin of all the world upon himself. And God smitten his own son. But the Bible says that the grave could not hold him. He paid for the sin because he died. And he came back from the dead. And he says that he is this unleavened bread. And if you take this bread, it has no sin nature in it. You live forever. I took one bite of this bread. I've never needed another one. He is this living water. He said, if you drink this water, you'll never thirst. I've never thirsted again. In other words, I've never needed to get saved again and again and again. All you need to get saved is one time. You can only be saved one time. He can only give you eternal life once. He only paid for your sins once. There is not another payment to be made. Because he came from the dead and ascended into heaven and sat down. and He's not coming back to pay for sin. He did it all the first time he came. Paid for all of your sins. And all he wanted you to do, believe he did it for you. So when you believe he did it for you, he puts that payment to your account. And you go to heaven on what Christ did. That's what all this Old Testament stuff was about. And we're to believe it. And now we're to believe the rest of the story. That he's coming back. And he's going to set up his kingdom one of these days. And we're going to rule and reign with Christ. Now you've got the rest of the story. You understand it all now, right? You've got it. Let's pray, shall we? 
Heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, don't you think right now would be a good time to do so? Because the last thing you'd ever want to do is to be left here when the rapture takes place. Why not right now in the quietness of the moment, if you've never done so, will you trust Christ as your Savior? Would you believe that when he died, he died for you? Would you trust him to take you to heaven when you die? And God said, if you'll believe it and trust him, he'll save you right now. And you can know that you're going to heaven. I pray that you will. If you're watching by internet, right on the screen, it says, yes, I'll trust Christ as my Savior. If you will, let us know. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm not going to have you forward to embarrass you. But right where you're sitting, you say, preacher, that made sense to me. And I will trust Christ as my Savior this morning. And I'd like for you to pray for me. Friend, would you just slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? Just let us know. I'm not going to have you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. But right where you're sitting, and one at all. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, and you know you have eternal life, you're God's child. Regardless of whatever problems you have, one of these days, they'll all be over. But until he comes, yes, you're going to have them. But don't let anything you have in this life turn you against looking for the Lord to come back. Love is appearing. Serve him with all your heart. Not because you have to, but because you want to. You don't serve the Lord to get to heaven, but because you're going there. It just makes sense to do right. Father, we thank you again for your blessing. Thank you for all you do for us. Thank you for the messages you've given us in your word to help us have some confidence, to believe, some trust. And Father, that we know you keep your word. We're looking forward to the day when you return and take us out of here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.